Good afternoon, everybody. It's good afternoon for me. Maybe it's morning for you or evening. Are you washing dishes, making dinner? Are you driving to school, driving home from school? I don't know, but whatever the current situation is for you, I hope it's good. We are going to have a lesson here, an episode that interacts with a couple of the comments that some teachers made in light of chapter two, and it zooms in on the idea of honoring the emperor. And some interesting comments were made here from a couple teachers about responding to the government. And so uh, John MacArthur was brought up by a teacher. Does John MacArthur, who is a, a pastor out in California, uh, trying to remember the name of his church, Grace, Grace something church. So he's got a ministry, Grace to You, I think. So what's his take on the American Revolution? Were Christians not honoring the emperor uh, in, in that way? So I, uh, I did actually find a quote from MacArthur where it seems like he does hold to some kind of position that uh, this person has represented. So people have mistakenly linked, MacArthur writes, democracy and political freedom to Christianity. That's why many contemporary evangelicals believe the American Revolution was completely justified, both politically and scripturally. They follow the arguments of the Declaration of Independence, which declares that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are divinely endowed rights. But such a position is contrary to the clear teachings of commands of Romans 13, 1 through 7. So the United States was actually born out of a violation of the New Testament principles. And any blessing God has bestowed on America has come in spite of that disobedience by the founding fathers. So, yeah, it does seem like MacArthur seems to argue that the American Revolution was not entirely biblical. So that's very interesting. So I actually am going to take a bit of a different angle, though, in responding to the comments that the teachers posted about politics, culture, and how we live. So I actually want to, you guys have just kind of given me an off-ramp to, to get on a little bit of a soapbox about something that I've wanted to unpack and I'm, I'm currently thinking through and processing, but I think is really relevant. I want to talk about the gospel. And so that might sound really strange to you. Why would I do that? So, well, Peter... Peter's spoken of the gospel earlier. He said in, in chapter 1, verse 12, that it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but, but you in the things that they've been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Spirit. So if I were to ask you guys listening, what is the gospel? What would you say? What, what is the gospel? Maybe you can pause right now and tell the person that you're talking to, here, here is what I think the gospel is. Okay, so, um, and I just closed the slide uh, that I wanted you guys to listen to. What is the gospel? Sorry, my computer's being weird. What is the, okay. So let me pull this up again. And here's MacArthur's take. 
Here's how he would answer it. Simply the true gospel, and I, I think maybe the best way to say it is uh, is to understand Second Corinthians five twenty one. God made him who knew no sin sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel. And I think uh, it needs to be understood in this context. The, the context of, of uh, 2 Corinthians 5 is, is a context of reconciliation. Five times from verse 18 to 21, the word reconciliation is used in some form. And what the passage is saying is, the good news is that sinners can be reconciled to God. Okay, that's the good news. They've been alienated, they're enemies, uh, and, and hell awaits the enemies of God. But reconciliation is possible, and God has devised it. God is the author of this reconciliation. That's why Paul says in verse 18, all things are from God, who is reconciling sinners to himself, who is reconciling the world to himself. Uh, the, the uniqueness of the Christian gospel is that God is the reconciler. Uh, man can't do that. All right. So there's MacArthur's answer, and I wanted to use MacArthur because he was brought up earlier, and some of you might say, yep, that, that sounds pretty normal. That's pretty much what I've always heard the gospel was, and I, I'd like to think about that a little bit more because I think that relates all the way down to honor the emperor. So there's a bit of a rabbit trail, but I, I think we'll come back around. If you ask the gospel of Mark, ask Mark, the guy who wrote the gospel, what the gospel is, he would say it's fulfilling Isaiah 40. <laughs> and most of us are thinking, uh, excuse me, Isaiah what? And I, I want to acknowledge that MacArthur, in, when he gives the answer, what is the true gospel? He does not reference Isaiah 40. So I want to investigate this a little bit more. Um, I, I admit this is a bit of a biblical soapbox, but I want to expand on this a little bit. Two angles of the gospel. One is called the Soterian gospel, and another is called the kingdom gospel. So I want to read a post fr from an article, and there's a, a decent amount going on in this article. I'm going to post this for you guys so you can look at it and check it out. Uh, this guy does a really nice job of conveying what's kind of going on in theological circles as this word gospel is being thought about and revisited by scholars. What do we mean when we say that? So here we go. In our season of COVID-19 quarantine, so you get a sense of when he wrote this, there's been a really important discussion or a lack of discussion on the heart of the gospel, the good news that Christians proclaim. This discussion started with Greg Gilbert's claim and recent uh, Together for the Gospel talk that Scott McKnight and Matthew Bates divorced the gospel from the realities of personal salvation. In their effort to show the center of the gospel pronunciation is Jesus is King. And items like justification by faith, or MacArthur would say reconciliation, are results of a positive response, faith and allegiance to this gospel proclamation. This claim then resulted in responses from McKnight and Bates, and then a counter-response from the responses of, uh, from Gilbert. Here are the links. 
that you guys can follow, he says, and he's got the links in the article. And you should check out these links there. It's good stuff. So he says, let me briefly define the, the each side of the debate. So here's the King Jesus gospel. The gospel, or the good news, is that Jesus has been enthroned as king, Lord. Jesus becomes human in the kingly line of David, dies an atoning death for our evil on the cross, was buried, raised, witnessed, and enthroned as king at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit was then sent to apply the benefits of this good news to those who respond in allegiance. And the word in Greek that's most often referred to as allegiance is faith. Okay, that's interesting. Faith here is defined as allegiance. Those who argue for such a gospel presentation include Matthew W. Bates, Scott McKnight, N.T. Wright, and Joshua Jipp, J-I-P-P. Benefits like forgiveness of sins, being declared righteous, justification, redemption, adoption, reconciliation, and the like flow out of this gospel proclamation that Jesus is king. The Soterian gospel is the other angle on this. Here's the definition given in the article. The gospel, or the good news, is that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross as to bear the wrath of God in the place of all who believe in him and rose from the grace, I think it's supposed to say grave, in order to give his people eternal life. This sort of gospel presentation is well known in American evangelical churches for the last 50 years. This sort of gospel understanding is espoused by people like Greg Gilbert, John MacArthur, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, Albert Moeller, and the like. It is the main thrust of groups like T4G, Together for the Gospel, and TGC, the Gospel Coalition, Nine Marks, and Desiring God. Central to this understanding of the Gospel is Martin Luther's idea of justification by faith. The author of the article says, I've shown my cards right in the title, that I believe the King Jesus gospel is a more faithful and full gospel message to the biblical story in the early church. It's not that the Soterian gospel is completely wrong, but it is certainly a truncated gospel message, which I believe is more dangerous than we would like to admit. Quick pause, guys. The word Soterian in Greek means salvation. So it's a salvation gospel. Back to the article. Maybe this all seems like semantics to you, and it quite possibly is, but the implications of these semantics go much further than words. I have no desire to hash out the arguments on each side of the discussion, nor do I think that would be helpful. You should probably just read their books. But what I do think would be helpful is to give a few reasons why we desperately need a King Jesus gospel in our current cultural climate. Five things come to mind. Number one. The King Jesus gospel is a more faithful is more faithful to the biblical narrative and helps readers make better sense of the biblical story as a whole. Many churches are making great efforts to make their people biblically literate, but preach a gospel divorced from the biblical narrative. Greg Gilbert acknowledges this in his talk. McKnight, I believe, is correct when he writes, their gospel 
no matter how you cut the cards, is, or at least has been, closer to the four spiritual laws, the bridge, or the sinner's prayer gospel. Though all of these evangelism methods uh, of days past have truth to say about redemption, they are again a truncated gospel. If we wish for our churches to be biblically literate, we should probably start by preaching the far more robust gospel of the biblical narrative. Number two, the idea of Jesus as king or Jesus as Lord is a crucially important message in a world ridden with nationalistic idols that we have comfortably paired with Christianity, particularly in the United States. The gospel proclamation that Jesus is Lord means at the same time Caesar is not. The implications of such a message should be clear. The people of God are a people who seek the welfare of the city and serve the common good of humanity, but we cannot be national patriots of any kind. That's interesting. Number three, the King Jesus gospel understands faith, the Greek word is pistis, in a more biblical, robust sense of allegiance. Matthew Bates says, bodily loyalty inclusive of trust. (laughs) The modern Western idea of faith is limiting in its scope and leads to misunderstandings of the Christian life and biblical narrative. Faith in the modern Western context seems to be reduced to this idea of belief, often related to right doctrine. This leaves us with a massive misunderstanding of what the biblical story is about. The story goes... God created earth and you and me. Earth is a beautiful place and a place with suffering. We all live our lives, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but we all really are a mixed bag of good and bad. And However, we're all trying to do good or believe the right doctrine or beliefs. And at the end of the story, God will bring history to its completion. And based on if you were good enough or if you had the right doctrine or belief, you'll either go to heaven or hell. Heaven is great, clouds singing and being with God forever, while hell uh, you you, in, you live in an endless torture with uh, the devil and story. Now, the author says this is a very simplistic and even crass way to put the misunderstood story, and I certainly don't accuse anyone on the Soterian Gospel side of believing such a narrative, but if we're honest, this story isn't too far off from what we've heard many, many believe on the popular level, even in our churches. The limited understanding of the modern Western idea of faith leaves people vulnerable to such false narratives. The King Jesus gospel and the idea of allegiance lend itself better to the biblical story. Here it is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heaven and earth were united. God dwelt with his people. Heaven and earth were driven apart by God's choice, by, sorry, by humanity's choice to seek autonomy from God to define good and evil on their own terms, creating hell on earth. God, however, promises he will return to his people and rid his good creation of hell, sin, and evil. God calls the family of Abraham to represent God to the nations. And though they fail, God promises to bring salvation to the nations through the promised snake-crushing Messiah King. This Messiah King is Jesus born in the kingly line of David, who shows his might and power by dying on behalf of the people, was buried, raised, and enthroned as king at the right hand of the Father. The power of hell, death, and evil is defeated under the reign of King Jesus. Though the power of the Holy Spirit 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, those who give their allegiance to King Jesus experience the benefits of his reign and are empowered to make space of heaven and earth, heaven on earth. God will completely, finally unite heaven and earth once again when King Jesus returns and those who have chosen to give their allegiance to King Jesus will reign with him while hell will be, quote, outside the city gates, no longer wreaking havoc on God's good creation. If we understood pistis as allegiance rather than the modern idea of faith belief, we are more inclined to understand the biblical story as it actually is. Four, if the gospel is the royal announcement that Jesus is king and faith is understood to be as allegiance, then matters of justice, righteousness, and social ethics cannot be dismissed easily. When faith is understood as a personal belief or right ideas about how Jesus saves, then the Christian life often stops at that. The idea of allegiance to a king and being a citizen of a kingdom, however, brings about an obligation to live by the ethics and the definitions of justice and righteousness of that king. The hard thing about creating a baseline for what justice and righteousness look like is its standards depend on what authority, usually governmental, is enforcing it. When the Christian faith is left as personal belief to receive justification by faith so that I go to heaven when I die, it becomes an uphill battle to create an orthodox baseline for what justice looks like. However, when the kingdom life, sorry, when the Christian life is committing one's allegiance to a king and the ethics of his kingdom, we have a baseline to work with. I am not suggesting any sort of social gospel or work salvation, but point to how the Soterian gospel has left the church with no real way of talking about loving God and loving neighbor. Wow. Particularly when it involves seeking justice for the most vulnerable. We have a king who has liberated us to live as citizens of his kingdom, the new humanity, who can truly love God and love neighbor. Number five, the scope of the Soterian gospel is very individualistic in its application and can often come across as benefit-driven. This truncated gospel presentation focuses the message on the personal benefit of justification by faith, and thus seems to start and stop on being good news based on how one responds to the message. It becomes a very me-centered story if about if I believe or not. This message seems to reinforce in many ways our ideas of being autonomous beings who can't be ruled by anyone, which is kind of how the story went wrong in Genesis 1, right? Maybe that disconnect in our modern Western world from the idea of kingship is why this truncated view of the gospel has become so prominent. Oh, wow. The King Jesus gospel, however, is very God-centered. The gospel is the good news that the king has arrived and under his rule and reign, hell, death, and evil are defeated. We have been liberated from our slavery to these forces of evil and empowers uh, and empowers us to live under the rule of the king. This is good news. No matter the individual's reception of the news, the good news is the kingdom of God has come here. Not that we will eventually go some somewhere, but that God has come here. The God of Israel will rescue his people and in turn the entire world. God's reign and rule, which I will add is what Isaiah 40 is about, have come here in the person of Jesus. Submit to his reign and rule. Give your allegiance to King Jesus. 
Oh my goodness, guys. There's, there's some good stuff in there. I think you can kind of tell I agree. Uh, I find, um, I have concerns about the truncated Soterian gospel in its individualism, and it has been divorced from the biblical narrative. And I know there's a lot there. Uh, I'll post it for you guys. But I think there's some things here to think about and connect the dots with what it means to honor the emperor, honor our government, to be involved in our culture, and how it's about us being citizens of the kingdom and how the kingdom has, has come, the king has come. And I think that has implications for not just understanding the Bible, but what Jesus accomplished, how we are to live in our present culture, and why we should live in a certain way. Um, and then also how we should talk to others about our faith in Jesus. And maybe all this is a future class that I want to teach. That'd be super cool. But that's enough for now. So here's the end music. <laughs>